personal, profound, and wholly unique. Connection to the queer community is different for everyone. Some don't quite know where they fit. Others are very certain. Many are on their own dynamic and evolving journey. In a few minutes, the Loud and Queer team's roundtable discussion. But first, we've spoken to queer changemakers and culture shapers from around Australia and the world. And to each, we put one question. What is your relationship to the queer community? Everything. Everything. It's informed so much of who I am. And my journey from birth to now, it's quite shocking. I feel like the person I was on the inside, especially as a kid, is now the person on the outside. And I'm still learning to embrace every single part of myself. But now I just do it with such ferocity. I came out actually after the um, same-sex marriage results were announced. And then I was just like, oh, am I just like having these thoughts because of what's happening around me? Am I just like responding to that? Yeah, I think I was just in denial a bit. My story is very similar to a lot of queer people where it's one of, you know, years of internalized homophobia and the the classic um, high school bullying. But I feel quite fortunate that I've been well supported by my family. I've always felt like an outsider as well. And I feel like if you're queer, you kind of are made to feel like an outsider or you can feel like an outsider. Like even now, I'm, I'm 37 years old. I'm still um, untangling all the internalized homophobia that I have inside of me since growing up. Um, and I can't believe it. You know, it's still inside of me and, and, you know, the shame or whatever. It's ridiculous. I can completely spin myself out thinking, oh, how much of my selfhood is because I was a closeted queer kid who didn't mm-hmm. know he was a queer kid? I think a lot of queer kids sort of have a like this very private sense of self. And then that ends up determining the relationship you have to community. Like you always want to connect to community. And you also always are very like defended about yourself sometimes or like maybe it's it, it gives you a, str- a strong sense of self in some ways and a weak and very like desperate sense of self in others. The reason I'm so comfortable being who I am is because of the people who have been open that I looked up to before I came out. My connection is really trying to be just as open and to give people someone that they can see is comfortable and open and happy and feel safe knowing that other people can live truthfully. Because I somewhat straight passing stuff like that, I kind of let more into that and thought that if I presented myself as more straight or, you know, kind of distanced myself from, you know, being feminine or something like that, that I would be more accepted. And from year seven to now, it's kind of this thing of coming to terms with being both masculine and feminine and expressing mm-hmm. myself in what feels right and comfortable with me and not expressing myself to appease others. I've been a part of it for a long time. I've always been in the thick of it. As someone who's conspicuously queer, it's uh, it's something I, I wouldn't be able to, to dodge even if I wanted to, and I definitely don't want to. The big, messy stuff I see throughout our community and through the work that we do on the ground in crisis situations, but also the love and care that our community have for each other and and really hold each other, regardless of how connected we are or not. Love. One word, love. 
and I think that that's all like probably the, the sort of question that most people would spend their whole life unraveling in one way or another. And you can hear more of those compelling conversations on your preferred podcast platform. Just search Loud and Queer Talks. Moments away, the Loud and Queer team's roundtable discussion. But not everyone could join us live in studio. Here's what Sarah, Liz and Nick had to say about their relationships to the queer community. My relationship to the queer community has definitely been a journey to be quite frank I don't really know what my relationship to the queer community is that's the simplest way of putting it sometimes it's confronting and challenging but I would like to think that right now I'm at a lot of peace with it I find that I have a really close relationship to film and TV and media in the queer community. I definitely think it's a positive relationship, especially in Australia. As compared to Singapore, I feel like even though I haven't explicitly come out, not that I've ever really been like closeted or anything or like I'm not in or not out, I, I don't really know what I am, but I'm me and I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing and how I'm living and who I love and like and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah, I was super lucky to have a pretty good support system around me and still definitely do. But it meant that I came out when I was pretty young, which I felt super lucky to do. But in saying that, I also felt like I had to be super out or (laughs) super loud and queer um, just to sort of overcompensate and make up for the people that couldn't. I find that when I get to see queer stories represented properly on film and on TV and in those spaces, it really validates myself and it makes just me feel insanely happy and supported and seen. Since then, I've done so much growing and so has... The queer community in Australia, in the world, um, you know, I think we're pretty lucky to live in a much more supportive environment than we did. And I think the queer representation is so much better. Queer film has this power that a lot of other media don't have to tell stories in a really touching and really important way with music and with cinematography and stories and dialogue and characters. And when you see representation on screen and uh, even on theatrical stages as well, it really makes you feel supported and heard as well. I feel like in the nicest way possible, no one cares. It feels just a lot more... Like, you do you, sis, and everyone lives life. Whereas, like, in Singapore, I feel like because, you know, I don't attend any Pride events and I haven't, like, made a big deal of what I am or who I am or who I like and I love, I just feel like I'm not part or seen as part of the community or taken in by the community or I'm not part of that community And it was just really interesting coming to Australia and basically not doing anything different with my life and somehow still feeling like at the end of the day I was accepted. If I thought it was good in like 2014, 2015 when all the YouTubers were coming out, the next gen are even luckier because it's just such an integral, normal part of the day-to-day now, which is so lovely to see. You know, like I've never felt the need to come out. I just kind of live live laugh love that doesn't help with the confusion about where i stand regarding the community because i've 
never really felt the need to seek it out explicitly. I felt really connected to this media representation growing up, and then sometimes it wouldn't correlate to the real world, and that was scary. It really helped me in coming out and coming to accept myself as a queer person in the community, and I think it's a really important way to kind of find yourself as well. I don't feel like that my queerness is the cornerstone of who I am anymore. I feel like it's just a byproduct of my existence. But I mean that in the best way possible because it means that people aren't viewing me as like gay first, Sarah second. It's Sarah first. And oh, by the way, she's gay. And that's the best feeling. There we go. Sarah Davenport there reflecting on her relationship to the queer community. Not gay first, very much Sarah first. So... Let's introduce who I'm with again. I'm joined by Mia first and Hello. Sam first. Hello. Do you want to do you want to introduce yourselves? My name's Mia, and my relationship to the queer community that has been informed through Loud and Queer this season has been one that is kind of an ongoing journey, as a lot of our uh, interviewees have kind of expressed, and it's been one of self-discovery and something that I'm happy to say is not a like something that I've come at an arrival of like this is this is where I'm at and this is exactly who I am it's a constant and uh moving thing it's a journey as it's much a as journey me. it's a journey and you spoke to Danielle Scrimshaw the historian she was only new to the queer community herself when she was doing all this research and she didn't feel like she had that authority at times to have that conversation. Did that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. It's that kind of sense of imposter syndrome and not being queer enough to do things as has kind of also been a running theme on the season. Yeah. Now, we kind of... We took this from you, Sammy, because you? You, were, you were producing it last year. Oh, the show. The yeah, show. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, you know, so I feel like I, I look to you and I'm like, this is someone who's very self-actualised and has a very developed relationship with the queer community. Is that the case? Yeah, I guess. I mean, for people listening who weren't listening last year, I'm like ace arrow and agender. So I feel like a lot of people within the queer community don't even see me as a part of the community in that sense. Why is that? Uh, well, ace, like ace phobia is definitely very prevalent in the community still, um, which yeah, I won't go into now, not a, too much of a tangent. But um, yeah, when I started hosting this show in 2018, I identified as uh, Demi Pan. So people have kind of listened to my journey of like me discovering my queerness and kind of fully understanding what each identity individually is and like how it builds towards a larger community. So how do you feel like being on Loud and Queer and talking to all the people in the queer community kind of shaped that journey for you? Yeah, it just introduced me to so many different perspectives and um, yeah, particularly like uh, starting this show and then also when I first moved here being around kind of queer community and like alternative arts. Um, really helped me like develop my identity and like my understanding of what queerness was, especially early on in art spaces as like uh, kind of radical. Um, a lot of art was like quite radical and like pushing against like kind of normative spaces. Um, and then uh, I took a few years off where I wasn't broadcasting as much, but I got quite involved with like activism. And then that's where like my perception of the community just changed completely once again. And like kind of heard from people who like you would never be introduced to within like media or like normative spaces university contexts like uh very like marginalized people with very radical ideas um so yeah i don't know my the queer community is 
kind of all-encompassing. So it, it means different things to people and like their queerness is, everyone understands their queerness quite differently as well. Yeah, I mean, earlier we heard from Jacinta from Salt and Harbour Health and they were talking about all of this advocacy that happened in the last 40 years and you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I, like that was a great interview. Jacinta's doing incredible work. Um, I just like was thinking uh, for Loud and Queer last year, I was speaking to people about um, who were kind of queer broadcasters in the, the late 70s and 80s. They're talking about um, like how acts of homosexuality were like criminalized. Quite a lot of that was like informed by people's like panic of HIV. Um, so yeah, there was definitely still kind of like persecution and um, like harassment from the police at that time. Um, yeah, just because something's legal on paper doesn't mean necessarily that those attitudes are reflected in in the broader community. Yeah, exactly. And it, it takes a time, like time for when laws are changed for like the social perception around it to kind of catch up, especially if there's not much proactively done to kind of change that perception. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, kind of, I think what we are seeing and why I was, I'd assumed that this show was running and there was a week where that been that that really significant day at state parliament with the um, the advocates for um, women's rights to have these single sex spaces. That's what they were saying was there, you know, was really important and really meaningful to them. And then that kind of coalesced. There was the um, entry of the, the alt-right and the Nazis into that community event as well. And then you also had the, um, you know, the people who were like, well, we're trans and we are women and we deserve, you know, we deserve this access and we deserve to be treated with respect and with dignity. And they didn't feel like that's the treatment that they were getting. And you had this really, really, you know, all descended on the steps of Parliament House. And I went, wow, that must have been a really intense episode of Loud and Queer. What do you mean it's not running? Mm. And that's why I think with me and my personal relationship with the queer community, when I when I came out, I came out at 14. And I'd spent years thinking, you know, what's going on? Because, you know, being gay, being straight, that didn't, I didn't align with either of those. And then someone one day came out to me and they were like, I'm bisexual. And I was like, wait, you're, you're what? There's a third option here. There's even more, but there's at least three. I only heard about the first two. I feel cheated. I feel lied to, but just having that word to articulate how I identified and how I was feeling was incredibly meaningful and incredibly powerful to me. And it's why it's been incredibly meaningful to me to talk to a lot of people who are, um, you know, dealing with these issues that are impacting the community and who are learning and who are researching and who are creating art and communicating because to me, it's that communication that was very important and that enabled me to finally have the terms to articulate that really deep self-reflection. And, you know, Mia, we were talking to Kaya Mercedes now, who, you know, has this really supportive, you know, you know, she came in with her, with her mum and had that really supportive, you know, network around her. And it's just so different from, I guess, what we kind of experienced when we were, you know, around the same age. Oh, absolutely. It's, I was talking about this with Kai, you know, it, it genuinely was so beautiful to see how open she was about her identity um, as a queer person, as a young queer person. And um, 
to have such a support network and to feel kind of comfortable enough to be creating art around that and being so yeah so open about it it was genuinely just not like a it wasn't a shock to the system but it was kind of just like a, oh wow like this is how young queer people growing up get to grow up now it's not as I don't know it if I say it felt very commercial, like even with what Sarah was saying before, like YouTuber coming outs were like a huge thing, I feel huge. like. That was, and again, like I, I'm not criticising that. They informed a lot of my queer process and coming out process as well. I mean, but, so like I remember where I was the day Dan Hell came out. Oh, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's almost like, oh, who, who did you have back then? Like Tyler Oakley. Tyler, I was going to say Tyler Oakley, Troy Sivan, Connor Franta. They were my ones. That was... Yeah. That was huge, but even just like, yeah, Dan, downhill more recently even, but just having those like big kind of queer displays of like, this is who I am and I'm announcing it to the world and it it's kind of become less of a like, you know, that was kind of what was necessary for the community, for some people anyway, back then to kind of state this is who I am and kind of make a broader perception of like, this is this is queer identity and this is who I am. Whereas now it's kind of like I feel as though there's been a bit more of a shift and it is kind of closer to what Sarah was saying where it's not queer first, Sarah second. It's, you know, it's you and yourself first and your queer identity also just happens to be a part of that. Mm, and I guess as well with what, what Nick was saying, like seeing yourself reflected in what you're seeing around you with those YouTubers and that other kind of the media as well, the arts. Yeah. Um, it, it's that idea of visibility, which I think is, you know, important in some facets. A decade ago, it was extremely important because we didn't have like a lot of authentic visibility. But yeah, I think a lot of people are moving on now to, to wanting more kind of genuine support. Um, and yeah, that idea of like queer first or person first. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's great that people can kind of be like that. Uh, but I guess it still is like something that uh, like people like us who are kind of more heteronormative or just normative queers have the privilege of doing when it's like there's other people in the community who can't be person first because their queerness will always be viewed as the mm. first thing, the first thing people notice about them. And like there's a lot of preconceptions that come into that already. Um, so, yeah, it, it's great that people can exist as themselves and they happen to be queer but it's still definitely worth keeping in mind that not everyone can do that yet. I mean, that's the thing, right, is we talk about the queer community, but everyone has such different and such individual experiences. Yeah, and we don't have, like, a unified community. Um, I think everyone knows that, but it's uh, there's certain spaces and scenes that aren't welcoming of everyone that is queer. So it's that idea of um, not so much building a unified community, but as an individual kind of actively forming and maintaining your queer community. I mean, that's what Liz was kind of touching on at times with, um, you know, she's never felt the need to come out. She's never felt the need to label herself or how she identifies. And in Singapore, that was quite isolating because then it was, well, she didn't feel like she was part of that community. Here she feels like she is a bit more part of that community. But I guess, Mia, how connected do you feel to the queer community? Um, oh, I do and I don't. It's it's very strange. I think it does. It touches on what Sammy was saying, where you kind of find yourself within different parts of this very multifaceted community, and there are parts that I would like to be more involved in or more supportive of um, that I haven't found myself quite as involved in as of yet. And there are other parts where it's. I, I think it's mainly it's just about support and it's making everyone feel seen and feel visible and valid 
in their own queer identity for me anyway yeah how about you sammy yeah um i feel like i've touched on a lot of it already but obviously as an ace kind of arrow agenda person it's a lot of uh queer spaces like more traditional queer spaces where i'm probably not as welcome overtly or like just seem to be a part of that that space but um especially in this city um in this state i've like been able to find really kind of radical queer spaces that have really spoken to me and yeah kind of like found my family here mm. um but yeah it, it's like mia said it's kind of something that you actively maintain and like research for. Mm.